Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am very excited uh, today. It's a momentous day in American and even world history. Uh, we have a brand new president. Uh, the old one didn't quite uh, stand up to all the promises, uh, and maybe rightfully so. Maybe maybe that was all for good reason, uh, but uh, today is a brand new day. I let my kids off school for a little bit to witness the inauguration and watch some glass ceilings be broken. And uh, that made me feel very proud. And it, uh, it kind of reminds me of how quickly things can change. It makes me very excited to see that foundations can stand strong. Everything's kind of fragile and we kind of have to tend to the things that we cherish the most. So I'm very excited today to kind of share my feelings and kind of have a long discussion with somebody who I've really wanted to talk to more and more because of the of how quickly he progresses. And, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more today. His name is Gabe Fabroni. He is the founder at Phantom Labs. He is out of Los Angeles. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And to build on what you said, today is an exciting the step one in feeling proud to be an American again. Uh, step one in the end of division, the end of hate, and hopefully, you know, uh, one of the things that really resonated with me this morning that uh, Biden said was, you know, democracy prevailed through all the yeah. fal false information, through all the, you know, I, I read this article the other day about that the, the way to pull the heart out of democracy is to make everyone not know what the truth is. And I hope that 2021 can be the beginning of, of reestablishing truth and all of us sharing a truth as one, as one entity, as one, one group, and hopefully pave the way to America becoming a, a you know, a, a world leader again and, and, and leading by example across all fronts. So it's, it, it I woke up today and one of my business partners just had his uh, first baby about nine months ago and. His, his second is on the way and it just brought me to tears this morning. I was just so ecstatic to, to know that he and his children are going to be living in a better place as of today. So it was exciting. It was exciting. Yeah. Uh, I'm a registered independent and it's because up until 2016, I didn't see too much difference between the two parties. I felt like, no matter what was going on, I felt like at least they had our best interests in mind until 2016. And then all of a sudden that just came crashing down. I didn't feel 
like he had our best interest in mind. I feel like, like yeah. he had his own best interest in mind, and that and that that didn't uh, that didn't gel with me. Yeah, I mean, look, for all intents and purposes, it's in my opinion, it's the lesser of two evils. I think that both sides of the coin have their have their issues, have their problems. But if I had to choose one side, I'm I'm I will happily stand on Biden's side, just to see progressive change and to not see hate rule our country anymore. Um, as my older brother severely me- was severely mentally handicapped and. A lot of conservative, a lot of conservative policy really, it doesn't bode well for handicaps for anyone with disabilities. It just really, it it was something that when the Bush administration took office, it really changed the landscape of my family. And a lot of that had to do with their policy on special needs, on their policy and their government federal funding. And it it was, you know, it it became my mom's kind of life work when when Bush became, came into office in terms of lobbying and making change. And I felt a lot of those same feelings when Obama or when uh, Trump, when Obama left office and Trump came back to office or came into office rather, I felt a lot of those same feelings of just, I know how it felt when Mateo, when Bush took office and what it meant for Mateo. And, you know, even though Mateo is no longer here, it was uh, a, I just felt, scared and sorry for all the people that I know that those sorts of changes were probably going to come back. And a lot of them did come back. So, you know, Oh, that's the sort of thing that you require empathy to actually make that uh, a primary focus, you know, and I feel like that's, that's been lacking a lot of, in a lot of press releases and a lot of tweets that there's there's just a complete lack of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the break here. I, I feel like you and I could totally go down the political rabbit <laughs> we hole. Could, we could. Absolutely. Let's definitely shift gears. Let's definitely shift but, gears. Uh, so let's use this as a good segue. What I did really appreciate today was the, the amount of politics, arts, politics, arts, ceremony, yep. arts. Yep. I that, that I feel like that has been lacking for, and as an industry wide prohibition of arts you know i mean i mean our our entire industry is just at a standstill right now but you know i was a little bit jealous that they got to do the over in washington dc got to set up a mic and some light do some lighting (laughs) for a while but at the same time i was so happy to see it you know that's yeah we need to prioritize arts yeah man it was it was cool to hear you know to hear the poet uh and to hear a lot of I, I think it's interesting for me, you know, because I, I think that art, creativity is something that, I, I don't know what your view on school is. I've always had some issues with schooling. Um, I was, I'm very much a self-taught person and we can get into that a little bit later, but I've just always been the type of person that, it came from my dad. For instance, you know, whenever we would get something new, and instead of my dad showing me how to set it up, he'd hand me the manual and he'd leave the room, right? And that kind of led me to understand and really it's, it's ingrained deep in my personality of like, okay, cool. If you just read about it and you educate yourself and then you apply that knowledge to how you want to use it, it becomes a tool for you to use, right? So, and I treat that with everything, with every software I've ever learned. It's always like, cool, why don't we start with the manual? And then take those tool sets and those understanding of how the programs work and apply it to what I see in my head. 
And that's kind of helped me in my journey of understand of learning how to see something in my brain and turn it into real life. And, you know, I've had people like Greg Ellis and Michael Smalley and Andrew Cass and guys who really helped me learn the, the console, the lighting console. But, you know, for instance, like when, when Michael Smalley and I started doing Daughtry, I don't know, it was 2011. And I had, I didn't really know anything about the console. The first real experience I had with it was programming this show with Michael and, and he left, he was doing uh, animal collective at the time and he left and on the tour bus at night, instead of like having beers and doing the whole touring thing, because I was 21 at the time and I was easily 20 years younger than pretty much every other crew member. And I went to FedEx one of the days we were in Boston and I printed the MA's manual and that was what I would read every day. And I read that I must have, I must have, at this point, I must have read the MA manual probably 30 or 40 times. And that was how I learned. And that it's for me, it's how I've learned almost everything I've done. Like when, when Martin Garrix, uh, when Martin Garrix, when I started doing Martin Garrix and we did Coachella in 2017, um, I got really frustrated with, you know, lasers and being like, why, why is it always wrong? I hate having to yell at some dude over comms. And so I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to learn Pangolin. I'm going to learn beyond. And I started with the manual. And then obviously Greg Ellis was a major influence in my laser work. But then it's the same thing for how I learned pyrotechnic design, as I learned Resolume, as I learned all these different programs, it really just came down to, cool, take a book about the con about that. Well, this is cooking because I love to cook. But um, take that, read it, and then apply that knowledge. And I mean, that's really how I've taught myself pretty much everything. Um, you know, I did go to college. I went to college for lighting design in a theatrical setting. I left after two and a half years because uh, my mom got diagnosed with uh, stage four breast cancer that took her life about a year later. And that was a big, obviously a very big event in my life, but it also, one of the things that, and the reasons that I was so kind of adamant about leaving was one, I wanted to spend time with her, but two, I felt I'd hit a ceiling, if that makes sense where I had learned, you know, I'd gone through all the basic training, if you will, in the theater, I'd learned all the different, you know, electrical design theory, color theory, all the different things. And then they kind of, when you hit your junior year, I went to North Carolina School of the Arts, UNCSA and Winston-Salem on the East Coast. And one of the things that they kind of say, like when you're a junior, you start to design the theater shows and that's what you do for the next four semesters. And I found, for lack of a better way of putting it, I found myself really bored after four months, you know, what, mm -hmm. June, July. So it hits October and my mom, my mom tells me that uh, she's been diagnosed with cancer and uh, for the second time, and this time it's stage four and it's metastasized. And she has, she has a, you know, she has a limited time window on this planet. And I just took one look at it. it I mean, it took me about 30 seconds, but I, I took one look at everything I was doing. I was like, I already felt bored time to change things up. And that led me down this path of, I learned a lot when my mom died about one, about the will to live and two, about what it means to kind of live in the moment and to share something with someone that you've realized, you know, like the moments that I shared with my mom, uh, I realized every, every single moment I had with her that I was never going to have that moment again. And that there, there was a very limited amount of time and we didn't know when the expiration date was going to be, but it was going to happen. And it led me to this kind of interesting creative journey that I'm still 
I'm still very heavily on, but of just never being bored. My mom always said to me, like, she, she always would say, and this comes off, I, this sometimes comes off the wrong way, but it's like smart people are never bored because they find ways to keep themselves engaged. And, you know, some people might take offense to that. And I'm sorry if you do, but it's more just really, it's, it's about keeping yourself mentally engaged. And one of the things that, you know, all of, most of the people close to my, close to me know I'm, I'm, for lack of a better putting it, I'm just a huge nerd. I, I really enjoy learning. And it's this year, 2020 has been a really interesting journey for me in this, or 2020 this past year was a really interesting journey for me because I learned about myself because the world slowed down, right? All of yeah. a sudden, like I went from being gone 330 days a year, you know, Martin Garrix, we did 20, between 2016 and end of 2019, we did 485 shows in 106 countries. Like we did travel, we traveled, you know, and, and I feel incredibly blessed for that. And I, the world experience that I gathered from that, as well as just the life experience, you can, uh, it's invaluable. And I am so incredibly blessed for that. But it was really interesting when 2020 happened, when COVID hit and the world, our, our world specifically, the live event sector, just that was it, right? And the learning experience I had this year was really, or this past year was really about myself. Like I picked up surfing, I picked up golfing, I've started kiteboarding, I am reading a ton again. I, you know, all these, all these different things that I've never really had time to explore. And what it's really, I think that I, a lot of people in our industry lose sight on is this balance between work and life. Mm -hmm. And I think that I was really lost in that. I know I was, um, you know, I, from a personal perspective, I found the, I thought, and something that I struggled with for a long time was that the, the, I felt the only value I brought to any social or any situation was the work that I did because it was the only thing I ever did. So I would be gone for six months and then I'd be home and I'd hang out with my friends. And the only thing I thought I brought to the equation was work and was my design work and everything that I did there. And, and this past year was really a lesson of like, there's so much more to life. And that really kind of culminated in this trip that I just took over New Year's to the to Tahiti with four of my best friends and was just a, like, cool, there's so much more to life than just working. Sharing these moments and creating moments with the people that you love is just as important as creating moments and concerts and events and experiences that you, all of the people, the audience loves. But there's a control behind that that I really enjoy where cool, you push a button and the crowd roars. But like, there's a lack of control in the personal life experiences when you're creating these moments with the people that you care about that is so beautiful. And like that balance of understanding when you wanna be in control and create those moments to when you, you wanna be out of control and just let things happen finding that marriage in life for me has just been really the the focus of my life um and being okay and not working 24 hours a day and normalizing you know at 6 30 or 7 o'clock at night i don't pick up my phone i'm not answering my phone before 9 a.m like those sorts of things it just i feel like it's it was a really good reset for so many people in my life and so many people in 
our work life, even though it's been very difficult. No one's saying it's not, you know, financially, I, it's a burden on a ton of people, including myself. But mentally, I think it's just been, it's refreshing for everyone. I think it's, I'm really excited to see the live event space come back. I'm really excited to see mentally the effect that it's going to have on our industry of what does it mean to normalize, what does it mean to normalize and change this mindset of not working 22 hour days to get us something operational of, you know, it's, and I've started doing a lot of work in the virtual production space and, you know, film, you work over 10 hours, they charge you. Could you imagine, yeah. uh, could you imagine in a production rehearsal? Like I'm just, I'm just thinking about all the times we did, you know, when Michael Smalley and I did Pitbull and I was sleeping underneath some bleachers in a arena in South Florida, like, and I slept in that venue for almost three weeks. Like that, could you imagine if I sent him an invoice? Oh, sorry, I was in the building for 17 straight days. So that that's 14 hours of overtime a day. You know, they would tell me, time. They'd tell me to fuck yeah. off, you yeah. know? And, and that's, and that is something that I am really curious to see how that is going to affect things across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe it won't, maybe it'll go back to how it was, but I'm, I'm really hoping that there, that everyone, that our industry as a whole can see some positive change and find a silver lining in everything. I think that I you know I learned from COVID and from all for all intents and purposes, our entire world shutting down. So that's a, that's a lot to dissect. Let's start from the beginning there. Okay. You, when you talked about education, I, I wouldn't be surprised that you and I share a lot of uh, decisions, a little, a lot of opinions on it. I feel like education is designed or at least it should be, or it has been designed in the past to teach children how to think, not necessarily what to think. It sounds like you're kind of on the same wavelength with me there. Yeah. I mean, I think the big problem that I have, and this is always the problem that I had with the school that I, I went to um, in Connecticut, because I, I grew up in Connecticut. I spent a majority of my childhood in Connecticut. I was born in New York, grew up in Connecticut. And then I spent some of my high school years in Washington, D.C. And what I always struggled with is that I, I felt that it, they really, specifically where I went to school, it was all about going to an Ivy League school, having, you know, having all these different things. And, and my approach always with school, just in general, was like, as long as I have perfect grades, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like, no one can tell me what, what to do if my grades are perfect. And that was always my rule, just because it gave me the freedom I realized it gave me the freedom, but what I also realized, and this kind of came, came to me in ninth grade when they started doing syllabuses. And I was like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. You're gonna hand me a syllabus that, on what we're gonna learn for the next six months and you expect me to come to class? Like, cool, you, you, this is linked to a textbook. I'll show up for test days. And it was, it was a problem. I got in trouble for my attendance all the time, um, you know, where they, because I just, I was like, this is dumb. A, a teacher you're a self starter. Yeah, a teacher's gonna read me a textbook. I can read myself the textbook, thanks. And I'll show up on the tests and we're good. And the, you know, it, it's funny because there was this teacher, Miss Greenberg, and she was the only teacher I ever bonded with in, in all of my high school years because she didn't teach, she taught AP bio. And uh, I, she was the most engaging teacher I ever had because, and she's one that I kept in touch with. I, I have still kept keep in touch with because she, she really, brought that out of me. She did not use syllabuses. The class, if you didn't go to class, you didn't know what was taught. 
And, and that really engaged me because it meant that I had to interact with her to learn and that, and then it became personal. And like a lot of times the learning experience for me is personal. I learn certain things very quickly and certain things very slowly. And I know that. And she, it was fun for me because I would go, I would interact in class, I would learn. But then because I was interacting, I didn't feel that I, like I didn't have to study, which was a, a nice, was a nice other aspect of it. I was like, all right, all right, cool. I don't have to read anything. I went to class. I took, I was actively engaged for an hour and I got something out of that. And I would do that three times a week. Right. And, and that was that for me, uh, from a schooling perspective, it's just like, I felt like because what you like, what you just said, they teach you how to think, not what to think. The problem that I had is like, and I guess this is part of the schooling thing in general is they, the way they were trying to teach me to think my brain didn't operate that way. I'm not, it's an outdated system. I'm not a flashcards learner. I'm not any of that. I don't care. Like, oh, I, you know, and it, and that was always, it's interesting because like, you know, I, I took AP calculus and, and it was always like, a, when am I ever going to use this? Like, I'm not trying to be a rocket scientist. I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, an engineer in that sense. And I know that what, how does this help my life? I would have rather taken a personal finance class learn how to do my taxes in high school, then take AP calculus. Like, yeah, you know, and, but, but that's the thing. It was like, they wanted, it was kind of one of those situations of like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Like it just didn't fit. And Mm -hmm. I mean, boy, if if you probably asked any of my teachers in in high school, I was trouble because I just, I wouldn't ever listen. I didn't care. I, I wouldn't come to class. I'd show up on the test days. I had really good test scores, but I was never in class. So technically I was supposed to fail or technically I was supposed to have an incomplete because I didn't go to enough class. And I was like, this is so dumb. And it was, that was school for me was a very interesting, uh, was a very interesting journey. And it was, but it was also interesting for me to see my older brother go through school who was special needs. He was undiagnosed, mentally handicapped. He was born a vegetable and He was, uh, my mom had to take him to physical therapy for seven years to teach him how to walk. He was in diapers until he was 13. You know, as someone who was six years younger than him, I was always kind of the older brother. And seeing him and seeing what he went through and understanding that that was so necessary, that structure was so necessary for him, for him Mm -hmm. to become a functioning adult as he did, which all of that stuff was required. So I under I, I understand that the that there is a mass part of the world that school benefits because it helps them. That structure is required. But for right. me, for me, it just it I felt I felt out of place, and so it just never really it never meshed. And so then that really hit when college when college really engaged me because it was very much the style of if you don't go to class, no one, one nobody cares. But two, it's, you're doing yourself a disservice and why are you there, right? And so that really engaged me because one, I started getting to choose my classes, et cetera. And it was like, I, I could kind of mold my, my vision for my own education. And then when I left school, because of my mom, when I went back to school, I went to Penn State uh, on online Penn State and got to finish my degree in business, which is what has helped me understand how to, you know, it helped me become an entrepreneur. And understand right. that, like there's there's a lot of ways that this can uh, 
there's a lot of, you know, there's a, there's way more to this than just the creative side. There's actually business behind all of this. So mm-hmm. that was probably, to be honest, that was probably the single most turning point in my life was doing that and understanding there's this whole world of how to make a business that I didn't even really understand. And that understanding really gave me a lot of focus and understanding on where I wanted to be. And so then when I started kind of envisioning my life and planning, planning how I navigate the river, if you will, I knew where I was trying to get. And it wasn't perfect in terms of, this is exactly where I need to be, but it gave me some focus of like, okay, cool. We're going to start a business and the goal is going to be this. And then, you know, 2020 was a really good learning experience about how to diversify business and how to understand that, (laughs) you know, I, I put it, my uncle, one of my uncles is a very, very successful businessman. And he, uh, he said something to me at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of last year, uh, right when the pandemic was hitting and I called him, I was like, well, I'm screwed. Phantom screwed everything. Uh, my life just, got, you know, years of my life just got torn down. And what he said to me was really interesting. He said, you know, can you walk with one leg? And I was like, of course not. And he was like, okay, so there, there's your answer. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you can walk with two legs. He's like, the best, the best is you could walk with three legs. Right. And I was like, Oh, inter- okay. Ex- further that. And he goes, well, if you have three legs and one breaks, you still have two legs that you can walk. And if you have two legs and one breaks, you have one that you can jump with. But if you only have one leg and that breaks, you're nothing. And, and that was really, that really hit home with me because I realized from a business perspective, that was what had happened to me is I was this one legged creature as a business with Phantom and all my whole team we were this one-legged creature in the live event space and the live event space got shut down and that was the end. And 2020 really became this understanding of, okay, how do we diversify? How do we, how do we make it so that we have three legs so that if one goes down, we can still walk? Because one of the toughest things, one of the toughest experiences of 2020 for me was- You're Basically out there looking for crutches. Not, not only looking for crutches, but also like my, you know, the toughest part for me was the, the being stressed about how people on my team were going to pay their bills about how, you know, not, it it was a burden that I took very seriously. And it's, uh, you know, uh, most of those close to me are always like, dude, it's not something you can take on. It happened to the world. And it's like, yeah, but I took on that, that role by starting a business. I care about, you know, the people on my team are my family for, for the most part. And it was, it was, it was hard. And now I feel like we're very much on the other side of that. And, and Phantom is going to, I'm excited for what's coming for us. And I'm excited to see where, where we can take this business and, and what can happen there. But um, yeah, it was it, 2020, man, what a learning experience and what a, a silver, one. what a, a tough one, but gosh, man, you know, of, Tough in the best way, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Tough, tough in a way that, like, I was ready to learn that sort of tough, and it was good. Um, and I didn't realize I was ready to learn it at the beginning. Like March, April, May, God, I hated life. And then something happened, and it kind I kind of came around, and there was a perspective shift. And I wish I could tell you this is exactly when it happened, but I think it kind of happened naturally. Of that perspective shift 
has just made me, gosh, so content with life. And even though things aren't perfect and things aren't, it's not like our world, our live event space is back, but I have just been, especially in the recent weeks, man, I've just been overcome with the, just this feeling of gratitude for being alive. And a very close friend of mine on her refrigerator, she's got a, this little, uh, it's, it's kind of like a poem or something. And there's a couple of different things on there, but one of the last ones it says is, uh, you're living in the best deal. Uh, uh, you're living in the best deal. Life is free. And wow. that, that for me was just, it, it, I read that and I was just like, wow, that, and I botched the, I botched the exact quote on it, but it's something along those lines. And it's, that clicked for me in just so many ways. And it's, you know, from the small things to surfing at sunset and watching and being on the, on the, in the ocean when you're watching the sunset and just feeling small and humbled to the feeling of successfully doing some, something with my team again, to being able to cook a good meal for three of my close friends and eat at our dining room table. Just like, I don't know, man, I've just been overwhelmed with gratitude for being alive and, yeah. That this the beautiful place that we live and it's it I think 2020 really slowed life down enough for me to to appreciate it and realize yeah. this is nuts. We live on this little round globe floating in space and it is beautiful. And yeah, it's been cool, man. And it, you know, I mean it it ties it definitely ties into my use of psychedelics for sure. Like a hundred percent and and that is, it's, for me, it's really been interesting because I've been microdosing LSD out of seven, eight years now. And I have found recently that I don't find, I haven't really found a desire to. And a lot of that has come from, a, I, I think this change in my mindset and this over, this feeling that I have had lately of just how beautiful things are on their own. Without, without anything shifting, without any change in perspective, this, and it's crazy because they talk about, okay, so when I, I guess we'll go down this path of psychedelics for a minute, but. I just finished I, uh, The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley. So I'm, oh, cool. I'm all into talking about it. So when I got into psychedelics, I got really into them in college. I took this class called Perceptions and this, this psychology class in college called Perceptions. And one of the things that it really pushed me down was this path of exploring psychedelics and shifting my worldview and seeing what could happen. And in a lot of cases, I took it way too far and that's okay, but- um, It happens. It you gotta happens. find your boundaries. Yeah. And, but then it got me really into microdosing. And one of the things that I found about microdosing was that it, it I really enjoyed the place that it would keep me consistently. And what I feel like I've looked 2020 and the end of 2020 and the beginning of this year really has taught me is that that mindset that I was trying to unlock. And I always viewed it as this thing, like a key that I had to unlock. And that was the only way I could get there. I feel like I figured out how to get there without it. And that for me has been a really special thing. Because mm -hmm. uh, I learning how to shed that need of anything other than what is going on in my brain 
is, has been a really beautiful journey for myself. It's, it's helped across so many fronts of my own self-validation, you know, not having parents anymore and, you know, not my older brother passing away and my older sister and our, and my relationship is not the best. Like for the most part, I'm completely on my own. And that self-validation journey that you look for and from parents or you look for from, you know, your loved ones has been a problem that I've had where I, I am, I get in the, I used to get in these really toxic cycles of looking for validation from people and then putting myself in bad situations where I had two people that I was trying to please, if you will. And then, mm-hmm. but their, but their two needs were, were two different things. And then I had to choose a side of the table and then it would burn relationships. Yeah. And it burned some of my closest friendships and it, it just, it, it was not good. And, and I, I think that, really what 2020 allowed me to learn and to shed was this, this need for validation from anyone other than myself. And I think that one of the yeah. things that's, that psychedelics really taught me and what I think, where I think I'd lost sight with psychedelics was that I was using them to find validation where okay. I was using them to, to justify certain decisions, or I was using them to do these things and, and I've just come to this realization lately of like, dude, you don't need any of that. It's all here. And, and it's, God, it's been a really, really cool journey, man. And it's, it's, it's brought this new light for me to psychedelics of, of being able to enjoy them just for them and not taking them and going, this is what I'm going to experience. Now I'm in this new place. And to be fully transparent, it really came to light uh, at the beginning of October, I did a, my fourth ayahuasca ceremony and it was the most intense psychedelic experience I've ever had, like without question. Um, you know, I drank the second cup as they say, uh, where'd you go? I, so Uh, I physically and mentally. So we were in Topanga and it was on this ranch in Topanga and, it was a, a really beautiful ceremony. The shaman's name, her, uh, her name was Tatiana uh, and really beautiful ceremony. And so I drink the second cup and she's doing her, her RAs, the chants of the, of the Amazonian jungle. And, and I got really overwhelmed and I had to leave the, leave the space. And it was one of the first times on psychedelics when I walk out of this door and we're in this kind of yoga chalet and, I walk out of this door and I step on, I step onto this little patio, like porch thing. And for the very first time in my entire life, I closed my eyes and opened them. And there was no difference in what I was seeing. I was completely not on this planet. And I saw my thoughts build themselves into a tapestry underneath my feet. And it was this blue silvery metallic tapestry that I would walk on. I walked on, I stepped down onto it and I felt it. And what it gave me this intense feeling of was, understanding that my own thoughts held me up wow. and, that those, and that those are what, those are what made me understand myself a lot of like, cause I couldn't, it was these threads of thoughts and they were zooming in front of my face o- over each shoulder and weaving this tapestry of this blue metallic tap tapestry as far as the, I could see and it would fade off into black. And, and I, have you ever seen monsters? Inc? You knew that's what they, you knew that those were your thoughts. Oh, I I was thinking things and watching them physically go by my face 
and build into this tapestry. And it really gave me this understanding of my thoughts are what hold me up and are what make me who I am. And I can, and I, it was crazy because I watched them kind of build this tapestry and there was a step down off the chalet and I take a step down onto it and I get both feet onto it and it kind of ripples and I go, whoa, I'm not, I didn't fall through it. And it awesome. kind of gave me this, gave me this understanding of like, cool, you are everything you've been looking for from a validation perspective is right in your own brain. And uh-huh. have you ever, have you ever seen Monsters, Inc.? Yep. You know, when the doors come down and they, yep. they, okay. So the next thing that kind of happened is I took these steps on this tapestry where these, these doors were landing in front of me. And one of the things that they say about ayahuasca and DMT in general is that, you know, it's, it's a key to unlock yeah. a door, but you have to walk through it. Right. And so yeah. one of the things, one of the things at the beginning of the ceremony that we had, we go, went around the circle and they said, um, everybody, please set your intention. And so, you know, my intention was, I want to walk through doors. And gosh, I see these doors were made of light and uh, made of this like shimmering liquid. And there must've been 30 or 40 of them that I walked through all of them. And I was, there were different, really different periods in my life. And, and then at the very end, I saw kind of where I, where I was headed of me moving out the, of the apartment that I'm currently sitting in and of like me just taking the next phase of my life and understanding that this person who I've been and who I've needed to be is no longer required for myself and shedding and growing into the man that I want to become and that I'm working towards is really important. And, and it, it's led me on this journey of I'm doing this program called made for, and it's a 10 month program about building habits. And it's, so that's what this bracelet is that I'm wearing. And uh, this month is about connection with connection with those around you about actively construct about active constructive response and listening to everyone that you engage with. Uh, you know, one of the months was about gratitude. Uh, the one the second month was about gratitude about every, at the end of every day in my journal, I had to write like one thing that I was grateful for that someone did to me. And it could be as simple as someone held the door for me or anything like that. And it's just like building these habits of engagement with not only those around me, but of with my own brain being aware of what I'm thinking and aware of how things make me feel and understanding that there's no real reason to when things aren't making me feel the way that I want them to, to, to find a way to change that. And, you know, I am all about leaving my comfort zone. Like for me, that's always been my creative process is how to get myself uncomfortable to a place that I'm comfortable within that space. And that's how I've done some of my best work. And, and that's been, uh, it's just been a really interesting journey, man. This ayahuasca tr- tr- ceremony we did, it was two nights and it really, it taught me a lot. And the, the first night I felt like I was strapped to the front of a bullet train and it, it really goes, <laughs> it, it really goes back to what we were talking about of uh, control. And it was really that the, the hierarchy or the, the, the higher concept that I really took away from it was I shedding control in a lot of situations is something that I need to work on because I, I am very type a in that sense. And I'd like to control every aspect of things. And it's why I'm good at my job of show directing and creative directing. Cause I'm very controlling. So but, let me ask you a question about that before you get too far. Uh, yeah. Aldous Huxley makes a comment about how he could never describe the full knowingness of his trips. No artist, no poet, Nobody can ever do it justice. 
Do you find that to be true? And if you do, do you find it to be frustrating that you can't ever fully portray to somebody else where your brain went that those times? No, I don't find it frustrating. I agree a hundred percent, but I don't find it frustrating. Um, I, and the reason I don't find it frustrating is because I, it's so personal. Oh, good point. Great point. So it's so personal, man. It's, it's, I, the only thing I can relate it to is concerts. And, and the reason I say that is, <laughs> okay, we did, we did this show in 2018 uh, with Garrick's, uh, which led to us making this TV, sh- uh, this Quibi show called Ann Music, and uh, that I was with a, one of the featured artists in. And one of the things that never made it into the show that was really my favorite part of the whole experience was for that show, we brought two people to the concert I mean, it's an 18,000 person concert, but we brought two people and put them in front of the house and one was deaf and one was blind. And we interviewed them after about the differences in their experience and all the different things that they felt and saw. And, That's awesome. and that for me really hit the nail on the head of feelings are intangible. There's something that I feel and I could be right next to one uh, to another person and see the exact same thing, and it could make me feel completely different than it makes them feel. And it's it's so personal that I I don't care to share it with anyone. But what I do will say is my work it shares with the world the influence that those experiences have had on me, because that's that's really all I feel like I can share is I feel mm-hmm. like the only thing I can try and share with someone is the influence that it had on me. Like when we were just talking about my ayahuasca ceremony, like I'm telling you what I saw, I could never explain to you how I felt. I could never explain to you any of the things, but, but what I can tell you is how it has influenced me after that. And that's what right. makes it relatable. Right. And, and I think that that for me is like, it's funny because I, I think feelings are the most in are tangible, intangible on this planet. It's, it's the most real thing a human can feel is an emotion. And that's why for me, what's always been so awesome about the experience of show directing, creative directing, designing these concerts and these experiences and brand activation, anything like that, is that you get to see this immediate feedback on how something that has made you feel a certain way, how it's made somebody else feel. And that's, mm. And that for me is, that's the high that I chase when we were doing concerts. That's it. Like, you know, from when songs are playing that we have every single laser going off in our utter madness. And that's, we're finding this beauty in the chaos and it's chaotic beauty, if you will, to the really slow single look songs that are really pretty. Like those, though, that sort of, instant feedback that you see from the crowd around you it's addicting and it is it's addicting man and it's and it's something that i have really you know that narrative building and trying to tell a story and trying to communicate all these different things to those around me it's really what i've learned is is that the narrative even in if you know for instance the martin garrick show the is about a computer becoming conscious and transcending into the real world and what I realized is like I had imparted so much of my own personal journey into that story. And so much of the feelings that 
this computer is going through as she's learning about what it's like to be human and what it means to be human and all these different things and what it what it means to and the next rendition of the show that, that we're moving towards is her dissecting our character dissecting what it means to have a soul and we're going to take the show very much more abstract and explore human emotions in the abstract and and that for it's god i'm super excited for that one with my with my own brain and where it's currently at i'm just very excited for that exploration but um that for me has always been the most exciting part about about uh about concerts and about live experiences and and yeah man it's it's been a cool journey it's definitely been a cool journey man that is uh that's where inspiration has to come from. We have to be kind of an audience member on our own. We have to be there and feeling it. And then we're in such a rare place where we get to kind of orchestrate the feelings of the entire crowd. Yeah, That must be a great feeling. And I can only imagine that you love sharing that with the audience that you're, that surrounds you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely been, it's, it's an interesting feeling of, like with the Garrick's team, for instance, you know, there's 18 of us and it's not only just about sharing it with the audience, but it's also about sharing that journey with those that I design with. And, you know, like understanding and it's, I call the Garrick's team is our little neural network. It's a neural network. <laughs> it's a neural network of a bunch of nerds who well, really have this, network. Yeah, who have this, who have this goal of creating something cool. And for me, it's, I, I've felt incredibly blessed that I have one been given an opportunity to run with what I'm seeing in my brain and feeling and all these different things, but also two to get to, uh, share, to get to share these emotions with all of the people that I work with and having conversations. And it's led to such engaging, interesting conversations about what it means to be human and all these different feelings and it's got, it's just been such a, uh, an invigorating experience is really the best way of putting how it's been. Cool. Uh, it sounds like you get a lot of creative freedom then. Does Martin have a lot of input or does he kind of allow you to run free? Marty is, it's a blank canvas. I get a blank canvas. That's now it's awesome. a blank can. It's a blank canvas that there are two people that control the brush, right? Like Marty controls it and so do I. But the thing for me that's been the most invigorating part with Marty is it's always a conversation. Always. It is cool. never, there, there is never, and it's really taught me a lot in the creative sense of, and the rule that I have with every single person in our team, and it's something that I've, I've, I'm very adamant about is, you can tell me no, but if you just say no without justifying your argument, then we're doing what I want to do. And that's really been the thing that I've learned working with Martin and collaborating with him is justifying and understanding the decisions that I'm making. And being able to justify them allows me to communicate. And that's been a huge part of it. Huge cool. So you guys are what I would consider 
the younger generation, do you think that you guys are in the same camp and that, that you're both young and full of optimism? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's younger than I am. He's 23, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say so. I think that it's, it's, it's about being young, but also like, to be honest, I hope that this, that for me, this feeling that I have never really changes of, I, I think that this is a timeless, a timeless thing that it doesn't, it, it doesn't being getting old and jaded, if you will, I, I hope is never what I become. Uh, and mainly just because I think that one of the things that I've really learned, and I feel like I really learned from my older brother was you can break the normal. Yeah. Like my, my brother's life was not normal in any way, shape or form. And, and understanding Doesn't that you can like break it. that understanding that you can break that is huge. That's cool. I, I don't think that old and jaded is the, is the goal, but it's tough because as you get older, you, you find things that work and you find things that don't, and you kind of get, you get uh, complacent in, and comfortable in certain things. Yeah. And, and okay. So maybe, maybe let me, that's really what it is, right. Is old and jaded is the wrong term. I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, it's complacency. Yeah. And, and I think that that goes back to what I was saying before about my, um, my goal of just never being bored. Yeah. And, and that that's something that I hope to carry all the way until the day that I'm, I'm on to life's next great adventure. And, you know, I get the answer to life's biggest mystery of where we go after this life, <laughs> you know, and it's something that i see in my grandpa. My grandpa is uh, 99. He turns a hundred this year. And he is a, he was an officer in the Marines and he is, I mean, up until just a few years ago, he was running three miles every morning and, you know, he's, he's just hyperly engaged and he's always finding something to do with himself. And it's really inspiring. And it's the same thing I saw from my mom. And it's just, you know, it's genuinely, I think, uh, something that I hope I can carry, carry on. And I, I feel like I'm really, I'm really finding that the higher purpose, if you will. Right on. I've really, I've really felt like I've found that recently about this just overall kind of sense of awe that I have lately of being on this planet and being okay. alive at, the, at this time. So post 2020 and learning everything that you've learned and, uh, and all the priorities have switched for you. Let's say September rolls around and you get two offers at the same time. One artist you respect more and they're going to give you more creative freedom. And the other one pays more, but you don't really care for the music. Which one are you going to take? The first, the first. The one that you um, respect more? Yeah, I think so. To be honest, I don't really want to work with anyone else other than Martine, probably ever again. Um, Ooh, uh, in a that's lot, a compliment. A large, uh, well, a large part of that comes from our creative process. I, I couldn't really imagine, he like he's become one of my closest friends and I couldn't really imagine having to rebuild that. And maybe I will, maybe down the line I will. But right now I just, uh, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot of just like, I just find it uninteresting. Part of my identity is in his, in, is in our, his and my show. 
it's not my music, but the visual aspect of that show is very much part of my identity. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't imagine really trying to put that into another artist because so much of the way that I see the world visually has been through the lens of how it applies to him and our show. And, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine it. I mean, it just, it, it, it's something I've been trying to wrap my head around and I'm just like, nope, not the, that's not where my brain and my, that's not, I forcing it, I would be forcing myself and then it won't be authentic and then it won't be good. So I've, you know, I've started focusing in other worlds and other, other passions there. So. Post pandemic, we've also, we've all learned how the digital age has affected entertainment. What are you going to take from 2020 technologically and, and apply to the future Martin Garrick shows? Simplicity. Ooh, good answer. Simplicity. I think that 2020 has, was a, uh, a significant showing in people beginning creative. Um, and in a lot of cases, in my personal opinion, and I don't mean this offensively, just overdoing. Mm -hmm. And my goal really is to bring simplicity back into his, into everything that he and I do and keep things simple and authentic because the reality is, is, you know, it's like the way that I like to cook. Typically the way that I cook is olive oil, salt and pepper and whatever ingredient I'm cooking. And, finding different ways to bring out, you know, through the use of temperature or through, you know, through the preparation style, how you bring out different textures, how you caramelize and get different sugars out of things, like how you do all those different things with simple ingredients for me is this why I love to cook. And it's because you're finding beauty in the simplicity of it. And, you know, I, I really don't like using recipes. I'll read it once and then I'll just go for it because that's like, for me, that's the fun part is you figuring it out is figuring it out. And I think that that's, it's why I've loved to cook since I was a young, like a very young boy with my parents and my dad was an amazing cook. And so was my mom. And I just think simplicity for me is, is the, the goal across the, across the board. There's so much impact in simple restrained I'm, looks. Steve Jobs said it best, man. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And that has, yeah. that, that has stuck with me from has looked for as long as I read that quote of his, when he gave it, he gave it during the iPhone, the initial iPhone keynote. Yeah. And that, that for me, it's, it's the, the ultimate sophistication is let's just keep it simple, man. Some of the most powerful looks I've ever generated were just where I just take everything in the rig and make it all one color. And even across the fixtures, just get everything to match perfectly and, felt it from the audience go where, you know, it's just a night of multicolor cacophony. And then all of a sudden everything hits one color and it's like, Whoa. Yeah. It's, there's, there's so much power in that. I think that's a, a universal truth that sometimes you don't need to throw the kitchen sink at people. You sometimes you just need to throw that one perfect color with the, at the exact <laughs> right time. That's it, man. Exactly. For real. Yeah. So uh, to kind of tie everything together before we run out of time, when it comes down to finding inspiration for simplicity, where are you finding most of your inspiration these days? The natural world. And I say that yeah. because I, I have never felt more inspired by the planet that we live on than I have this, this year and at this current moment. My friend, two or four of my best friends and I, when we went to Tahiti, we hiked to this mountain called Mount Potu. And you can't even call it a hike. It was more mountaineering. 90% of the hike 
we were holding ropes and climbing at an 85 degree vertical to the top of this peak. I'll text you the video from that. We took a drone shot of it going around and man, there's nothing like the natural world and there's really nothing like it. And I, I, I think that that's for me is just where I'm finding my inspiration across the plant, across everything that I'm doing is just this understanding of that the natural world is more beautiful than, than anything I could ever imagine. And yeah. And it just, again, it has me in this kind of state, this like translite state of awe for this world that we live in and for the people that I care about and that I love and the, the, all these different people. I'm just like, wow, man, that life is good. It takes so much work to, to, to portray the, uh, the significance of the tiny little nothings that are so significant light shadow, the shape of trees, the, the unique colors. It's, it takes even, a lot of work. Yeah, to man. Make that even, significant. Yeah, man. It's true though, but it's also just like it, it goes back to this idea of simplicity. It's like it just life the world is so complex, but it's also just so simple. Yeah, it's and a paradox. It's this beautiful paradox and it's it's one that I feel very blessed that we we I feel like I live in this space this kind of very, Greg Ellis and I say this all the time, this, this space between the analog and the digital. And, mm -hmm. and I'm just, I feel blessed that I, I feel like I can put my hands in both buckets and, and pull it into my worldview, if you will. Nice. Right on, man. That, the, the, the bucket analogy, I think that's a great way to end the podcast. We were just about out of time, but perfect, man, this has been this was, a, this was great, man enlightening conversation man i look forward to <laughs> we'll have to do this again just give uh, me a shout so much you know to I'm share. let's do it man <laughs> i'd love to this was a lot of fun thank you so much gabe i appreciate it all right man talk soon hey and happy inauguration to to bet to end this with uh hopefully the world can be governed by love and peace and i know i sound like a hippie when i say that but <laughs> I think we saw fucking, the past four years. Fucking hippie. Think, no, yeah, but I think we saw what hate, what the world being governed by hate for the past four years can look like. And I'm hoping that we can take peace and love into the, into the world. And I, I, this was a blast, man. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.